2: Hello and welcome back to The Prospect Interview, where we meet the brightest minds and talk about the ideas that matter in politics, arts and society. I'm Tom Clark, the editor of Prospect Magazine, and this week historian Emma London is going to join the podcast to talk about the history of motherhood and work. Now Emma wrote a major essay for us in our July issue about the shifting role of motherhood in the age of feminism and why despite all that progress that's been made, women still continue to do the lion's share of chores and the child-rearing at home. What might it take to translate equality in theory into equality in reality? She joins our books editor, Samir Rahim, to discuss how initiatives in Sweden, which is where she's currently raising a child, have to teach those in the UK about equal parenting.
3: Emma, thanks for joining us on the Prospect interview. Thank you. As most of us know, who does the housework and then who, perhaps who looks after the kids is both an intensely personal matter, negotiation between two people usually, but it's also something that has sort of wider societal impacts. And in the piece you, you wrote for us, a very, very nice piece you wrote for us, you talk a little bit about how the burden still, even in 2020, is falling mainly on women. Could you tell us a bit more about that?
4: I think there's a there's two parts to the story and one of them is the kind of structural setup in which a lot of people particularly in Britain I mean I now live in Sweden and things here are a bit different as I'm sure we'll get into but in Britain there's still a sort of a system set up where women tend to make less money therefore they are their income means less for the household incomes. Therefore, women take more time off when they have children. And that sort of often means that you become the um, person in charge of the household, even in relationships where you haven't, where you've had a much more clear sort of equal share before. Um, It's also, I think, just a part of motherhood that you actually have to take time off when you've had a baby, it's, it's impossible not to. And because you're the person who will then pick the baby up whenever the baby needs to be picked up throughout the night, the other person might be going to work and therefore needs to sleep. Um, it just, you sort of become an expert. And I think this is part of the thing that we, we become experts in things we practice a lot. And in early motherhood and early infancy, we practice a lot. And it's a lot of hands-on work. And that sets many of us onto parts that are perhaps not ideal or what we had expected. Um, so, that's, so that's a kind of systemic part of it. And the other part is the sort of expectation that women are better at this sort of things.
3: Yeah, it's an interesting point though. so, you know, the idea that motherhood in the law is, is, is given more priority, isn't it? In, in the sense that uh, you, you, you get... It's in England, you get more time off, there's an expectation that the mother will have to look after the baby longer. There's uh, the idea, you know, if, it's, if she's breastfeeding, there's going to be more of a connection between the baby and um, the child. So the question is, you know, to what extent should the law be accommodating of that, as it were, inequality? Um, or should it be sort of trying to adjust things so that uh, men become more sort of the primary uh, caregivers of, of children?
4: Yeah, and I think that's where Sweden and Britain have done very different things. So in Britain, it's still felt like this is an individual choice that each parent or each set of parents make for themselves. And each set of parents should be allowed to make these decisions. And it just so happens that quite often it's the woman who kind of gets left behind in sort of workplace um, situations. Whereas in Sweden, there is an assumption that we will all become better That society will improve if we're all given an opportunity and that's one of the very few things we can actually do to enable women to um, fulfill their potential in the workplace or to even have a kind of gender equal workforce is to make sure that men stay at home because someone has to stay at home when a baby is very young there's no other choice really so here in Sweden, the idea is that you make it possible and you kind of encourage people to stay at home. Whereas in, in the UK, where I, where I was a parent with young children myself, and I had to go on my parental leave in, in Britain. There's still the kind of traditional thinking of, well, it's a short period of time and then we catch up at the end. But that tends not to happen. So I think the legal, for me personally, a legal, legal impetus to change It's very helpful. Um, And it seems to have created quite remarkable change in Sweden over the past 50 years where it's now so common for for fathers to take parental leave. I mean, it's more common for them to be on parental leave than for them not to do any. Um, And that's long stretches of time, you know, like a minimum of two to three months.
3: Yeah, and that's really interesting, isn't it? And and we talk a lot, you talk a lot in the piece about motherhood, but there's also a lot about sort of fathers and what their are changing roles. And, and looking at the sort of the Swedish example, um, how do you feel that, you know, fathers in general are reacting to this new world where, you know, they might be the person who goes to the, the baby group. Um, they might be the person in primary sort of caregiver for, for the child. How, how's that dynamic playing out?
4: I think it's interesting because it means gender stereotypes abound even in Scandinavia. So um, there are definitely things that some some male parents choose not to do with their children. I, in the um, article I wrote for you, I mentioned this anecdote where a friend of mine sort of didn't, hadn't even thought of the fact that his wife took their baby to Baby Sensory, which is sort of music rhythm classes for very tiny children. He didn't. He hadn't. It never occurred to him that that was for the sake of the baby. He just sort of thought it was a socialising for mothers type of thing. <laughs> um, and I think that still, that still is sort of a very common feature. Um, I think also um, I have friends who are actors who, have therefore, had quite a lot of time on their hands when their children have been young, and they've, you know, in London, and they found that they are the only male parent in a group of twenty-five parents who take their children to a specific class so it can be feel quite shy and um visible in many of those kind of parental situations where where mothers just sort of you know there's if there's 25 mothers you don't you don't really stand out in the crowd but i think For the next maybe 15 years in Britain, there has to be some sort of performative male parenting in order for the playing field to level. And there has to be some some brave individuals who take their children to all of these very kind of women-coded environments. Um, For them to become less women-coded, maybe.
3: Yeah, it's interesting, just speaking personally, the last few months, because of the lockdown, uh, we've been working from home and we've got a new we've got a baby he's nearly six months old and just being at home and being able to just help out more and, and 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 be there working at the same time but just being present it does change your relationship with the with the child and I found it actually quite um uh quite enjoyable in many ways um, and you sort of get to bond with the child in a way that you wouldn't before if you were just coming home at work at six o'clock and seeing them for the hour when they're really in a very very bad mood uh, rather than um, seeing them all through the day so it can, it can be a sort of positive good positive change for uh, for men as well comes
4: it no definitely and I, I feel like so my I have an uncle whose children were born in 1971 and 1973 and he was on parental leave. He's an electrician. So, you know, not, not a female coded line of work at all. And that's in Sweden. Whereas I have acquaintances and family members in Britain who have children born in like 2013 or something like that, who haven't taken parental leave. And I, I they might not feel it, but I sort of, I feel a sadness for them that they haven't gotten to experience um, having their children that close and being so much in charge of them um, that like multiple generations of Swedish dads have gotten to. I think it's, it's, it's definitely bond developing at an early stage and I think it definitely helps um, gender equality within a relationship that both parents are aware of of the enormous slog and um, toil of parenting young children.
3: Yeah, as you were saying earlier, you know, just taking someone out of um, the workplace for 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 a year or two, um, as they're looking after the child, it does, it will inevitably affect somebody's career won't it but if you have a situation where both men and women are doing it and it mm. then when you go back to work it's just a normal thing to for a man or woman to have been taking parental leave and therefore that will hopefully change things as well wouldn't it
4: yeah and there's an assumption here that's you know in britain you get hired as a woman in a particular age bracket with the sort of apprehension that you might go on parental leave in Sweden it's just sort of assumed that most people will at some point need to go on parental leave if they're within that age bracket um so that definitely makes a kind of cultural difference that there's no the the apprehension doesn't really exist not because of the gender at least um and I think it's also I mean it's an opportunity to get people into the workforce as well that you take more people out of it so you create vacancies for for temporary positions to fill maternity leave, for example. Um, But it's still clear here, as it is in Britain, that there's a there's a very male bonus to parenting. Men do better in their careers, research shows, when they've become parents. They are perceived as being more stable in the workforce and they're trustworthy and reliable in a way that that non- non-parents aren't. And women who become parents are clearly seen as the opposite. They're unstable and, and unflexible um, and don't have their priorities straight. So there's, there's quite a lot of work to do on many different levels here to kind of shape, shape the, the discussions around equal parenting in both the home and the workforce.
3: Yeah, going back to the to the home. So in the piece that you write about, you know the well known phenomenon of the middle class parent who then hires a nanny or hires a house cleaner to um, uh, clean the house or look after the kids, and and mostly in most situations that person um, is. Uh, a woman. So, is the discussion that we're having about gender equality quite a sort of it's quite sort of class inflected, isn't it? Um, uh, to what extent is it helping equality if a woman can go back to work, but then actually it's only reliant on the fact that they hire someone to look after their kids who's a who's a woman?
4: Yeah, and I think that's very important as well to recognise that there's there's in, even in in the parental leave. Um, Statistics in Sweden is quite clear that it's the kind of more working class jobs where men take less parental leave and I think that is mostly related to income so again the working classes have a greater reliance on a male wage because working class jobs for men tend to be better paid than working class jobs for women so there is there is definitely quite a big class element to these discussions and I think there's often a, a very extreme lack of awareness of how this plays out among people who can't pay for cleaners. I've often, you know, throughout living in London, I lived on many estates where, you know, women did part-time work and had children, uh, whereas you then move in middle-class circles where having part-time work and children, it would still be a completely different wage bracket for the part-time work. Um... So I think that that's something that also needs to be investigated and we need to be aware of. And um, the Sally Howard in her books talks about how, the, how liberal feminists open the servants' door into their houses. And I think it's, it's very true that we need to be aware. If you are going to hire someone to look after your children or to clean your house because you're too busy, then you need to be aware of their life situation and make sure that they're able to cope um, in their life situations, and quite often, you know, these extremely underpaid jobs that we're all so desperately reliant on, um, you need to be valued much better and, and um, paid much better. I think that's something also that this Corona spring has really shown us: the the lack of, um, of a previous lack of understanding for how much work is actually happens in the home or happens in childcare. Um, situations in in preschools or nurseries or in schools I think a lot of parents are now very very aware of just how much work other people around them put in for their lives to be manageable with young young children
3: yes of course and the people doing that work you know, presumably many of them have children themselves and have houses of their own to clean so the question is like what happens yeah. to their houses and what happens to those um those children
4: who cleans my cleaner's house Yeah, definitely.
3: Uh, it's interesting we're talking about how the virus has affected all this, because there have been sort of anecdotal reports um, about um, certainly in academia that, you know, fewer women pitching um, articles, having less time to uh, do the kind of work that they need to they need to do. So in a way, um, it's brought home how much work there is to be done, but it still seems like disproportionately falling on uh, falling on women as the as the people having to do that, do that work.
4: Yes. And I, that seems very clear and also quite strange. I don't, I've, I've noticed that sort of tendency on, um, in my own sort of social group of people who I see mostly on Instagram during lockdown. <laughs> but where it seems to be, mum takes care of the schooling dad while dad is at work in the upstairs bedroom. And then, you know, mum doesn't really get to do her work at all or she does it at night when everyone else is asleep and i think it's quite interesting it's i mean i'm sure that there will be quite a lot of research into just what happened but as you were saying the fact that it's noticeable that women are pitching fewer articles um women are declining work um this spring at a rate that doesn't normally happen um because of of childcare needs um, I have a, I, I'm in a very different situation. I mean, I'm in Sweden, so there hasn't been a lockdown. My children have been to nursery um, as often as they've been well. Um, I'm in southern Sweden where there, isn't really, there hasn't really been a pandemic either. It's, it's sort of a bad flu year, but not worse than that. Um, so we've been very sheltered. So it's, it's quite, it's, it'd be interesting to do a comparative study of what, what's actually happened. Um, Once we have a few more months between now and then, I think.
3: I mean, I've definitely found this last week. I asked, you know, the perfect person to review a particular book, and it's something that um, she really wanted to do. But she said that uh, because she'd been furloughed because of childcare, uh, because of the virus in childcare, it means she couldn't do any other reviewing or or work. So, you know, she really wanted to do it, but literally, and she said she literally just did not have the time time to do it so and those practical decisions you know, noticeably n- n- no no male reviewer i've asked to review a book has said that to me
4: no um, that's, that's interesting <laughs> yeah it's it is very fascinating and i wonder how much that very early days so the first six months of of parenthood where where most of that work has to fall on the person who's given birth um in most circumstances, um, the kind of the very hands-on extreme parenting at the start <laughs> where you don't sleep and you need to know where everything is and you need to make sure that there's enough food in the house because you're not, you're not going to be able to leave whenever you want and it's going to take three hours to pack everything up. I wonder how much that kind of early backbone knowledge that you sort of get through just those relentless early parenting months, where in the UK you have the father at home for two weeks and then he goes off. Um, I think, I wonder how much that actually imprints a sort of memory in us that, that mean that women who have taken a longer parental leave actually are the first to step up. Because it can be quite difficult. I mean, I've noticed when I was, when my children were very young themselves, I kind of noticed that I sometimes I was so tired that delegating would be more work than actually just doing whatever needed to be done. Like it's, it's, you're so tired. You, you don't really have the energy to have a conversation about what needs to move where in the house or which bit of laundry needs to be done. It's just easier to do it. And some of that might also be a play here. That, that to kind of, it's easier if I do it because then it gets done. Um, Whereas maybe, like Sally Howard is noticing in her own book, maybe women just need to trust that it will be done, maybe not just the way she would have done it, but it will be done somehow. And most dads are capable of finding matching socks, if that's of any importance.
3: (laughs) Well, we do our best. We do our our best. Um, these kind of debates are you know seem very modern, but actually in the other book that you were looking at, it shows that there is actually there's a very long history of uh, working motherhood um, and uh, and there's an anecdote about um you know women in the late nineteenth century going down working in pits and then leaving their kids with their 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 mothers. Um, and so the idea of women working is not is not really new at all, is it?
4: No, and, you know, look at any agricultural society through the history of, of humankind. Most of the work have, has been done by women. Um, women are the people who've been ploughing fields by hand. And if you look at, at sort of underdeveloped economies, still you will find a lot of women actually working very hard, but maybe in sectors that are deemed as informal. I mean, if you're, if you're growing stuff for your own consumption, rather than selling, then that tends to be a woman's work. But it's still very hard work, and it's very time-consuming. And um, matters of childcare have always—I mean, it just logically, childcare must have always been shared, even if it's been on kind of informal lines. Um, I've—I I've, did my PhD thesis partly about. Um, the anti apartheid movement in south africa and one of the first things they do when they start organizing uh, various community groups start organizing is that they they have to start a crèche because the kids have to go somewhere and it's it's you know it's it's a fairly standard most most women are very happy to hand their kids over for a few hours <laughs> it's <laughs> it's just part of you know it's a necessity so the idea again then that that um, child care is bad and that it damages children, it's more of a 20th century invention than, than anything that's come before because it's always been a necessity. Women have always been needed in the workforce, whether it's been informal or formal labour, um, and therefore their children have always needed to be looked after by someone.
3: It was usually done in extended families when people used to live live together rather than employing yeah. someone to...
4: Exactly. And then you have the kids those days. I have the kids the next day. Your your grandmother will take them. My grandmother will take them another week. I mean, the sort of patchwork of childcare rather than sending them to some institutional childcare, like maybe a nursery or a preschool. Um, but definitely, it's, it's, it's not that's not a new thing. Um, Childcare is not new and women at work is not a new phenomenon.
3: And isn't there a theory, I'm not sure um, how true it is, but that, that women live longer than men because of that that effect, that, that they they need, they need to be around to help look after their children's children?
4: Yeah, no, that might be true, <laughs> quite possibly.
3: Um, you talk about some 20th century inventions and um, one of the most fascinating parts of your pieces when you talk about the invention of the housewife yeah. the idea that the woman is at home looking after everything the household is actually quite a historically specific point isn't it uh, tell us a bit more about that
4: um well it, it comes when it's actually financially possible for someone to stay at home so it's, it's a class thing again so many working class women have predominantly always needed to work um my own family history is such that my grandmother's works Um, and that's not been unusual but but in the early 20th century as particularly maybe after the second world war when the economy is is in the in the west is kind of booming again There is partly, it's partly aspiration, partly respectability, and partly actually financially possible to create this kind of role and the ideal version of a woman as a housewife, um, really playing on all the mothering stereotypes. So, this is someone who takes care of not just the children, but the home, the husband, community relationships, and everything around it. And it becomes a very powerful image um, that very many women buy into in a very very thorough fashion and aspire to become housewives in um it, housewives are also very important for the early welfare states because they do a lot of the work that the early welfare state can't do so in sweden for example there isn't any childcare, um, state sanctioned child care really until the late 60s but so women are needed to kind of prop prop up the the welfare state by doing childcare um, for free, basically. And as a result, they get lower pensions and uh, <laughs> and everything else that goes with it. These days is different. These days, the Swedish welfare state um, is very keen on. Childcare, as a partly as a way of keeping women in employment, which means that they have a taxable income. You can't tax a housewife because she has no income. So, um, but it is a specific, the housewife is specific to a place and a time, um, and there are several kind of links into it. And I think respectability, the fact that this is an aspirational thing for the kind of upper working classes to be able to afford for the woman to stay at home i think it's 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 important to remember and part of why it becomes such a powerful um and influential period because it was a very short it's like a decade and a half but it's something that we still wrestle with
1: here's a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue another cool fact
3: You mentioned in the piece that, you know, the era of the servant or the living servant was coming to an end because it was becoming unaffordable and, and so and, and social patterns were changing. So women who maybe previously hadn't taken on that kind of uh, work and um, were starting to take it on. And then but it was also an era slightly before, you know, mod cons and technology. So, you know, in terms of, um, you know, dishwashers and all the rest of it, which then and washing machines speeding up. Uh, uh, speeding up housework so it it is a sort of odd little period isn't it um, uh, but it still exerts this great hold on on the imagination doesn't it?
4: Yeah and I think it's interesting as well because housework is work, there's a lot of actual quite hard physical labour that takes place in a household um, to keep it running and particularly before all of the mod cons come in so just washing um, which used to be done by washerwomen who maybe after the second World War get factory jobs instead, which are better paid and more secure but so someone has to do it, and it takes a lot of time and it 's hard work someone has, to, someone has to bake the food and cook the food there isn 't a frozen section in a supermarket where you can kind of liberate yourself from from <laughs> having to meal plan um, so it's it 's um, you know that there's actual work, but what is interesting then is that when that period is coming to an end, when washing machines become more affordable, when hoovers start appearing or vacuum cleaners start appearing, um, the idea is still for a woman to stay at home, um, even though clearly she could do the work much quicker than she could have done before. So, And that, I think, is when we move into the kind, of, um, the kind of ideal woman that we saw maybe even recreated in Mad Men a few years ago. It's the kind of very, very good-looking, very groomed, uh, perfect fingernails and lipstick kind of housewife um, who might even have some help cleaning the house, but she still has to kind of perform this ideal womanhood. Um, and then, in in the slightly better classes, the more afflu- affluent classes, it becomes you know' kind of the trophy wife the housewife morphs into a trophy of a wife a bit closer to our own time that we get, but um, that 's maybe a completely different conversation
3: <laughs> yeah so just just to finish up, you said what, what do you, things have changed a lot haven 't they um, just in terms of employment law in 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 Britain, certainly. Um, but what's the next step? You know, what, what's the thing that we could do in terms of uh, policy suggestion and then therefore leading to some sort of cultural change that will, that will mean things will, will become easier for, uh, for women in the future?
4: I really think that starting off with parental leave is, is a very good place. Um, we have in the UK kind of equality on paper But in order for there to actually be equality in practice, there needs to be some very fairly large structural changes around parental leave. Um, I think we need to start talking about parenting rather than motherhood. Um, And maybe there's a performative aspect to using kind of gender neutral uh, nouns for it. But I think it's, you know, it's, it's... something that all individuals, regardless of their gender, should be able to do. Um, and I think understanding that some of these large changes are actually needed in order for, for, for parenting in practice to become as equal and the workplace to become as equal as possible is needed. So quite drastic changes still, kind of changing. Laws don't tend to change cultures very well well or very easily i think there needs to be economic investments and um, a thorough investigation into just what makes a difference and in say compare sweden and britain again sweden's parental leave is very generous but it's paid for through social security so it's not paid by an individual company Um, and that might be something that needs, we have, we make greater social security contributions in Sweden, but we also get quite a lot of it back through, um, having, you know, more generous parental leave, for example. So there ought to be, I'm not entirely sure who, which party in the UK would like to take this and run with this, um. The very early um, Labour government under Tony Blair in, you know, had great many changes and reforms that really enabled women in the workforce, but so many of them have been rolled back. So something needs to be happening, um, but a greater, a greater awareness of um, just structural problems and that laws need to have some sort of practical element in them for the, for the practice to actually change it.
3: Thank you so much, Emma. I can hear actually next door the baby's woken up. So I think I need to go and um, see if she needs some help. Um, But thank you so much. That's been really great.
2: Thank you. That's all from us. Thanks for joining us on this week's Prospect Interview. If you enjoyed our podcast, please do leave us a rating and a review. Rebecca Lou's our producer. Goodbye, stay safe, and we'll see you next week.